Well, if you're a guest today, if you're here visiting with family for the Christmas holidays, we're glad you're here. Hope you can come back anytime. We want you to know we're in a series that started with the book of Genesis. We're going through all the books. And this morning, after 400 years of divine silence following the prophecy of Malachi, God unfolds the rest of His plan through the New Testament. How appropriate that the opening words of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew, introduces us to the greatest person of history. Chapter 1, verse 1 reads like this, a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, really, when you stop thinking about it, Matthew was a rather unlikely choice to serve as an apostle. When Jesus called him, he had been working as a tax collector, and no self-respecting Jewish person would have rubbed shoulders with a treasonous traitor like, like a Jew who had started working for the Romans as a tax collector. And yet, Matthew brings to this role of an apostle uh, some very gifts uh, and skills that are important. For instance, he was good at record keeping. He would have undoubtedly known shorthand of the day for that record keeping, and so he probably was able to keep good records of what he heard and what he saw in his time with Jesus. You also need to know when you're reading through the Gospel of Matthew that Matthew wrote his gospel primarily to convince the Jewish people that Jesus had come as the Messiah. Therefore, he quotes frequently from the Old Testament, and his singular focus is that Jesus is the King. The very, very first chapter of the gospel highlights the fact that he is described from David's royal line. Consequently, the title, Son of David, appears more often in Matthew than any of the rest of the gospels. Another dominant phrase in Matthew is kingdom of heaven. Now, I don't know how you all think, but if I hear the word kingdom, the, the fact of a king is inferred in that. You can't have a kingdom without a king. So there's this focus on Jesus as king. So it should come as no surprise then that Matthew is the only New Testament writer to record a story surrounding the birth of Christ where Jesus is worshiped as king by some very unique individuals. Now, most of the personalities associated with the Christmas story really aren't a surprise, okay? The crowds in Bethlehem, that's certainly no surprise, given the fact that there was a census being taken, and everybody had to go back to their ancestral town for the census. That's why Mary and Joseph went to Bethlehem. That was Joseph's ancestral town. They went back for the census and for the taxation, and because of that, there was absolutely no room in the inn. Not even Priceline could get them a room at that day and time at a good rate. And so you've got this, this huge crowd. That's not a surprise, all right? I'm not surprised that Jewish shepherds came from the nearby fields. They were learned people who knew that the Savior was coming. Their hope was fastened upon the fact that the Messiah would come. Uh, and these shepherds were appropriate because throughout the Old Testament, God had described his relationship with his people much like a shepherd with their sheep. And, and uh, after all, the greatest king, King David, started out his life as what? Shepherd. All right, so this is, this is an appropriate group to come to the, to the manger. What's more, the shepherds were the lowest of the low, folks. They were the lowest income earners. And so when God invited them to be the first ones to worship at the feet of Jesus, it was like saying, everybody is welcome here. You know, this is not just for the rich or the important. This is for everybody. So I'm not surprised. Shepherds were there. 
And I'm not surprised that angels were in the story. After all, the word angel simply means messenger. And who better than those who had known him first in heaven to announce his arrival in this world? The most dramatic and vital part of God's eternal plan was becoming a reality, and heaven knew that. I doubt that there was any angel that didn't want to be there to say, I want to celebrate. I want to help announce this. And so there were multitudes of angels that the shepherds saw. Now, that would have been breathtaking, but not surprising. What angel would have said, I think I'll sit this one out? No, this is the grandest moment in history. They understood that. And I'm really not surprised at this star that appeared in the sky. Now, through, through the centuries, astronomers have uh, tried to figure out if this was some kind of a cosmic phenomenon uh, that was a once-in-history experience. Was it the convergence of several stars at one time or planets that lined up in the solar system? Was this some kind of a nebular explosion hundreds of light years out that God timed so that when the light of that explosion reached the earth, it was the birth of his son? I, I don't know. We are not told about the light. Personally, I think that this was a divinely created supernatural light that God placed in the sky to announce the birth of his son. I don't have any problem with that. Do do you remember how you felt when your children were born or when your grandchildren were born? What did you want to do? Didn't you want to announce it to everybody? Didn't you want the whole world to know, hey, the smartest best-looking, most intelligent child that has ever been born, has now been born. The rest of you go home, don't even try any longer. He's here. If I had been God, I would have lit up the whole sky with more lights. Actually, the, the real surprise of the story is that there is only one star, not a skyfall to announce, this is my son, the fulfillment of all our dreams. So I'm not surprised about the crowds, the inn, the shepherds, the angels, or the star. What does surprise me is this featured story in Matthew about foreign visitors who show up to honor the Christ child. Now that is a surprise. For me, they're the most fascinating individuals in the Christmas story because they are the first to recognize Jesus as king. If you look at any nativity scene, even the ones here at church, the one over here by the baptistry, you'll you'll see that the characters that we call the Magi, and and they really look out of place, don't they? I mean, what with their extraordinary clothes and their expensive gifts, they don't fit with a manger, and and you need to know they weren't there. They weren't there at the manger. Our our nativity scenes are just kind of a compilation of the whole Christmas story, which which is a beautiful story, but they didn't come until much later, and we'll talk a little bit about that later. But, but who are these guys? The Christmas carol that we sing introduces them as we three kings. At other times, we refer to them as wise men. The New Testament here refers to them as magi. Who are they? And what can we learn about their visit? Well, let's start in Matthew chapter 2. Verse 1 says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now, the Magi were a cast of the highest-ranking political and religious advisors in the Persian imperial courts. Um, You say, well, where was Persia at the time? Well, Persia was the area that we now know as Iraq and Iran uh, on our maps. And not only were they highly respected scholars, but they were often instrumental in predicting and establishing new royal kingships. Isn't that interesting? 
And although we get our English word magic from magi, these guys weren't about hocus pocus, all right? Uh, they were scholars who studied astronomy, medicine, math, and natural science. The star most likely appeared in the sky at the birth of Christ. And so the Persian astronomers, they see this star, they know it's unique, they, they know there's something different about it, and they determine at that point in time that they're going to make a pilgrimage to find the one because they've, they've come to believe that this star signifies the birth of a king. And you think, how in the world did they figure that one out? I mean, what possible connection could there be between Persian astronomers and a Jewish baby? How do you get all the way from Persia to Bethlehem, when most of the people of Bethlehem didn't even know about the birth of Christ at this point in time. Well, I think the obvious connection here is Daniel. Remember, Daniel, who was taken captive into Babylon, which becomes Persia, that Daniel served in the Persian palace. Daniel wrote five centuries before the birth of Christ, but they studied his prophecies and his writings, and, Dave, and Daniel writes about these very things. And so when as students of Daniel, they saw this happen in the heavens. They conclude this was God's sign that the king was born. Thus, their question to Herod when they get to Jerusalem, their question is, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? What would prompt them to ask that question if they didn't know what Daniel had prophesied? Well, this was a long journey, folks. I mean, to tell you, this was a long journey. If the Magi and their entourage took the route through the Fertile Crescent, which more than likely they did as opposed to crossing, uh, going across the Arabian Desert, they would have gone up this long kind of arching trek from, from Babylon, which was still the, the center focus of, of Persia at that time, all the way around probably to the city of Jerusalem where they stopped to talk to, to, to Herod. This was a long trip. This, folks, was the original Star Trek. Okay? Long before Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock, these magi might have described their journey as a continuing mission to explore bold new worlds, to seek out new life, new kingdoms, to boldly go where no Persian had ever gone before. Well, maybe that's not the, what they said, but it was a long journey nevertheless. Now, what I can't do is I can't read this story without being struck by the idea that these men left home for months and months in search of a king, a baby, that they were going to worship. They didn't know why he had come into this world. They didn't know who he was. They just knew that God had announced this in the most spectacular way and that their purpose was to worship him. Now, I wonder, folks, would we have been as diligent as the wise men? Maybe the better question to ask is this, are we as devoted to serving Christ as much as the wise men were determined to find the Christ? And unlike the Magi, we know who He is, and we know why He came. And unlike the Magi, we don't have to travel 800 miles on a camel caravan to discover Him. We don't even have to drive across town to discover Him. You don't have to be here to discover Him. He is in us. Emmanuel, God with us. The Apostle Paul reminds us that the very Spirit of God lives in our bodies. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your 
bodies. Now listen carefully. If indeed the Lord lives in us, and I believe that he does, then what we do all the time, not just what we do here at church, but what we do all the time matters to God. One of the best gifts that you can give is a life of consistent character. Before you act, before you speak, before you even think, remember and pretend that God is standing right next to you, looking over your shoulder. Do you think if if God stood right next to you, if Jesus Christ could stand right next to you, would would that reshape some of your responses? Would that reshape some of your actions and thoughts? Now, now just remember this. He's actually closer than standing next to you. He's in you, which means that whatever we do, we invite him to participate in our thoughts, our words, our actions. What What I see in the Magi, is that they came with adoration in their hearts to bow before the king. Our character ought to reflect the fact that he is our king too. J.C. Watts wrote, he said, character is doing the right thing when nobody's looking. There are too many people who think that the only thing that's right is to get by, and the only thing that's wrong is to get caught. It's hard for me to fathom that God cares enough to live in us. That promise alone demands my highest integrity demands yours as well. Matthew goes on in verse 3. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophets, a prophet had written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be, called, who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make careful search for the child, and as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Can I tell you about the original Grinch of Christmas? Do you know much about King Herod? Do you know what a despicable guy this was? Herod killed several, if not most, of his own sons, as well as his wife, as well as his mother-in-law, out of fear that they would take over his kingdom. One historian said it was safer to be Herod's pig than his son, because he was so jealous for his throne. Herod knew that the Jewish people hated him and couldn't wait for him to die. So you know what he did? When he got near his death, He had all the noblemen of Judea gathered up and held captive. The plan was that the minute Herod died, these noblemen were to be put to death. That way Herod said there will be tears and sorrow going on in the land of Judah when I die. That's a despicable guy. Thankfully, when Herod died, his sister had more brains and compassion, and she let the noblemen go back home to their families. It says all Jerusalem was troubled with him. But there wasn't out of sympathy for Herod. It was out of fear for how he would respond to this news. The king of the Jews has been born. They knew too well his reputation. In verse 4, Herod calls together the, the um, scribes. And he says, now where is, where's, the king, where's the Messiah to be born? In, in uh, Bethlehem. And then he secretly calls the Magi and he says, now tell me again when that star appeared in the sky. And they told him. And Herod does his own calculation. He knows what's going on. He's the only one that has the whole picture put together. He knows when and where. 
And so he feigns genuine worship and says, oh, I'd just love it if you'd tell me so I can go worship too. He didn't want to worship. He just wanted to kill the baby. Verse 12 says, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they, that is the Magi, returned to their country by another route. When Herod discovers that he's been outwitted, he is outraged. And he takes his troops and he goes to the little town of Bethlehem and he kills every boy two years old and younger. He's leaving no stones unturned. He's going to get rid of this king one way or another. Thankfully, an angel had come to Joseph in a dream, and now Joseph and Mary and the infant Christ are on their way to Egypt where they would live until it was safe to return home. Can I tell you this morning that not everyone in this world is honorable? Not everyone is worthy of your trust. Not everyone in this world has your best interest at heart. Such individuals are shameful reminders that we live in a world that's been shattered by sin. For the families of Bethlehem, the event that we celebrate today with such joy was nothing more than a bloodbath filled with death and sorrow. This world that we live in is filled with evil, wickedness, heartbreak, pain, and sorrow. Just open up the paper, just read the news, just listen to the television. A man opens the car door for his wife in a New Jersey shopping mall parking lot to help her in, and it's the last kind thing he does because four thieves shoot him dead to steal his car. Do you know how many times I've heard about families who have been torn apart because of an inheritance and that rift is never repaired? The oncologist can't lift her eyes to look you in the face when she reads the report that your cancer is terminal? We live in a world that is full of bad news and hurt and pain and sorrow. Life here will never be fair. And that's why Christmas matters so incredibly much. It is his promise of a bright future because of his birth and because of his death 33 years later. Those little boys that died at Bethlehem surrounding the birth of Jesus Christ have life everlasting. And so do those of us who are in this room this morning. So you can act defeated in this life if you want to. When the bad things happen, you can just feel like life isn't worth going on, that it's too tough, that I'm just going to be a grouch. Or you can live in the spirit of Christmas. You can live in the victory of the promise that there are better days ahead because Christ came into this world. When the Magi arrived in Bethlehem, this is what we read. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. That's another reason I think it was a supernatural star, because it moved and stood over the place where Jesus was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, not manger. By this time, Mary and Joseph are in a house. Joseph set up a carpenter business. This may be as much as several months, even up to two years, which is why Herod killed the two and under before the Magi actually make it. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him, and they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and incense and myrrh. Honestly, we don't know how many magi there were. Because there were three gifts, people assumed there were three magi. Could have been a lot more. Knowing how many isn't important. Knowing what they did is. They rejoiced. They worshipped. They gave. That's a really good pattern for coming into the presence of the king, you know it? When you come on a Sunday morning, 
Is that the attitude you bring? When you sit down in your home to read the scriptures or between classes or wherever you happen to be reading the Bible, is that the attitude with which you read? When you pray, is that the attitude of your heart when you lift your words up to the king? So when you come into the presence of the king, let me suggest that you come rejoicing. Now, I know the holidays can be a... Um, can be a hectic time. They can almost remove any semblance of joy if we're not careful. But we've got a couple days left before Christmas actually gets here. So I'm going to suggest that you do your best for the rest of today and tomorrow and Tuesday to recharge your attitude. Read some good devotional thoughts about Christmas. Lift your spirits that way. Listen, and I mean really listen to the words of the hymns that we know so well we don't have to think about them, to sing them. Have you thought about the powerful words? Words like, remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. Those are words from God rest you married gentlemen, but have you listened to the power of those words? Or how about these? Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. We sang that earlier in Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Did you listen to the words? Powerful words of hope and anticipation. One of my favorite sounds uh, around home is when Elsie is singing or humming or whistling. There's just something about when, she, when she's singing, it just lifts my spirits. Music does that. It lifts the heart. It lifts the soul. So I'm going to suggest over the next couple of days you start singing or humming or whistling Christmas songs because it'll make you a little bit more pleasant. It'll lighten your load. It'll put a smile on your face. And you say, but I can't carry a tune. Sing anyway. All right? It'll still help your attitude. And I'm convinced that when you sing off key, God makes it a beautiful melody in his presence. You come worshiping. Remember, worship is an attitude, not an event. Tony Evans says, if you limit worship to where you are, the minute you leave that place of worship, you will leave your attitude of worship behind like a crumpled up church bulletin. Make every day and every deed an act of worship before God. After all, he is in you. And then come giving. Come giving. Three little uh, elementary age boys were playing the role of the wise men, the magi in a pageant, and they didn't have many lines, but they were important lines. And so when the lines came up, the first one stepped boldly, and he held out his gift, and he said, here, gold. The second little boy stepped forward, and he said, here, myrrh. And the third little boy stepped forward, and he said, here, Frank sent this. Now, sometimes we don't always get the whole story of Christmas straight, or we don't put as much thought into it as we should. Can I ask you, do you, do you put much thought into what you bring to God, to what you give to Him that's important? I, I mean, I'm always amazed at how thoughtless sometimes certain, certain gifts uh, are in, in life. For, for instance, um, I, I would recommend that you not give permanent markers to your two-year-old. You know, that, that's not a very thoughtful gift. They will like it, but you won't like it uh, when you give permanent markers to your, to your two-year-old. Um, I, I have never talked to, I'm not saying there isn't somebody out there, but I have never talked to anybody who has liked getting a Chia Pet for Christmas. Now, if you have liked getting a Chia Pet, I'd like to hear about that, all right, just so that I can set the record straight. I just don't know anybody. Regifting a fruitcake is not a thoughtful gift at Christmas time. I read about a person who three Christmases in a row got a, a small box of coupons as a gift. Q 
Coupons clipped out of a magazine, newspaper, you know, save 20 cents here, save 10 cents there, that kind of, a gift of coupons. Now, I, I, I think coupons are great. I, we use coupons, but I don't want to get a gift, a box of clipped out coupons. That's just not a really thoughtful gift. But the Magi, boy, their gifts were thoughtful. Gold for a king, frankincense and incense appropriate for a priest in the temple service, and myrrh, a burial ointment for someone who is a sacrifice. King, priest, sacrifice. Do you realize what they were saying about Jesus? How do you give back to God? This Christmas, Americans will use 38,000 miles of ribbon to wrap their Christmas presents, which will be encased in 4 million tons of wrapping paper and gift bags. And gift cards will account for more than $25 billion in purchases through the holidays. When it comes to giving to the king, can I suggest these are appropriate gifts? The gold, think of the Magi. The gold says, do your best. Gold is the best. So do your best with the life that God gave you. Make the most of it. Frankincense, be a sweet fragrance. I love the smells of the sea. You walk into somebody's home who's, who's baking chocolate chip cookies or baking anything with cinnamon and your mouth begins to water and you, oh, what a wonderful smell. It just, just kind of brings a smile to your face. Well, you live and act in such a way that you become that kind of a fragrance out in public and it will direct people to Jesus Christ. Myrrh, that's the complete surrender of your life. Jesus did nothing less for us. We should do nothing less in return. So in the spirit of the Magi, here's some good gifts to give. Give away a smile. Anybody can give these. Give away a smile. Help men to quarrel. Share words of encouragement. Do something for somebody else anonymously. Forgive someone who has treated you wrongly. Disarm anger with a soft answer. Visit somebody in a nursing home or a hospital. Apologize if you were wrong. Be extra kind to a coworker, And the list goes on. Give as God gave to you in Christ without obligation or announcement or reservation or hypocrisy. Be known as a magi kind of giver. Last thought. When you come face to face with Jesus, you can't go home the same way you came. You are a different person in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. The Magi went home by a different route. I hope you'll go home a different person this morning. I told you at the beginning that these were my favorite characters of the story, but I didn't tell you why. The answer? They were Gentiles. They were not Jews. These are the first outside of the Jewish fold to be told about the message of Christ. And when they came and worshipped, it was as if God was saying, my son is for the whole world, for all peoples everywhere. Aren't you glad that he let his light shine on us who are outside of his family, Israel? And he has continued to do so throughout time. John Hopkins is the one that penned the song about the Magi that we sing. Do you remember how the chorus goes? Star of wonder, star of light, star with royal beauty bright, westward leading, still proceeding, guide us to thy perfect light. The Magi found the light of the world, the perfect light. Do you know him this morning? Because if you don't, 
Christmas isn't complete until the light of the world is the light of your life.